Welcome everyone to issue number six of Four Guys in a Comic. This is Red, and today we're excited to announce our special guest, Nick Gray. Hey. Nick, thanks for taking the time out of your schedule, and welcome to our show. Thank you for having me. This is an honor. Oh, the honor's ours. So, <laughs> for those few unfortunate souls tuning in right now that are unfamiliar with your work, would you mind telling us a little bit about yourself? Well, my name is Mick Gray. I have been inking comic books for 20, going on 26 years now. I started uh, as a, at 16 years old, I started as a draftsman, uh, technical illustrator at a Silicon Valley company, and I was a realist. I never thought that uh, I would ever have a chance to work in comics, so I just got a degree in technical illustration and kept working in the Silicon Valley until I met Dan Votto at Slave Labor Graphics, SLG Graphics in San Jose, and they hired me as a background inker. If anybody knows anything about comic books, most artists do not like doing the buildings, cars, and rubble laying in the streets. So if they ever get a chance to hire on a uh, assistant, they always have somebody else do that, and they get to do all the superheroes and people flying around and stuff like that. And so I was hired um, as a background inker, and I went, wow, if I can make $10, $15 a page ink and backgrounds, maybe if I go to conventions and meet about five other guys, I might be able to assist five, six people at a time and make a living at doing backgrounds in comics. And I did that for about six six, eight years maybe, doing backgrounds and assisting people in, in comics. Um, a lot of the time ghosting on books. Nobody ever even knew I was working on Amazing Spider-Man back in the day over Randy Amberlin. Well, with Randy Amberlin over Mark Begley, but I was, and a few other books like that. And then as I met editors uh, through the years, um, all of a sudden they said, wait, uh, why don't you uh, start doing full fill-in inks and stuff like that? And Mark McKenna, my mentor, had kind of broken me in using brushes and stuff at that point. I had never used brushes before. I was a technical pen guy from, from the technical illustration days. And once I started using the brush, I got a few gigs helping people out do different books. Got my first real full inks books on Genesis West's Phantom Force, which was a Jack Kirby co-creation at the time. And through that, you know, kept on getting fill-ins. Then I met J.H. Williams at a convention. He needed an inker. And that was the real start of the snowball there was because uh, he was a up-and-comer at the time. And we uh, did lots of great fill-ins for DC Comics and some for Marvel. And then we're lucky enough to get Promethea. And did 30 issues of that, and that led to me working with Ryan Sook and Barry Kitson and more fill-ins and Marco Rudy on The Shield, and then the amazing Joker book with Lee Bermejo, which was one of the biggest projects I ever worked on in my life, and then met Patrick Gleason. And met Patrick Gleason, and I did a few fill-ins on maybe some Aquaman and some Brightest Day stuff. And then Peter Tomasi one day called me and went, hey, we got Batman and Robin. Do you want to come over and ink Patrick on Batman and Robin? And uh, that was, you know, a life lifetime long dream of working on my favorite characters in the world. And that worked out for 40 issues, which was my longest run to this date. And now here we are on the spinoff of that book, working on Robin, Son of Batman. So you got my complete life history in Now, I think there's one minutes. thing in there we're missing. What? Eisner Awards. Oh, there was a an Eisner <laughs> Award in 2001. We were well, good halfway through Promethea, and 
We were lucky enough to get nominated for uh, issue 10 of Promethea for best single issue. And it is a day I'll never forget in my life. I, I mean, I think, I think awards are, are so cool in a way, but then you look at them and go, oh, these are silly. But then, but, but that day was so amazing because uh, Michael Chabon, the author, announced us as the winner. So I went up and shook his hand. And then the guy handing out the award, what a surreal moment, was to get an Eisner from Will Eisner. He handed me the Eisner. Will Eisner that, handed me the Eisner. <laughs> there is no better honor. I mean, come on, the Eisner, it's the, I mean, it's the Oscars of the comic book. That was crazy, but to be handed it yes. to, from the guy who was named after, one of the greatest storytellers in the history of comics. And, you know, it was just insane. I'll never forget the day. Unfortunately, my wife just had our daughter, and she wasn't in San Diego, and she couldn't see it. So that was oh. the only drag about it, but yeah. it was such a day. Oh, I can imagine. That just had to be quite a feeling. And I'm staring at it. It hangs on my wall. It was before <laughs> It was before the, uh, I think, two years before they went to the little um, globe sculpture that they use now as the award. Mm-hmm. So this was a plaque that they gave us. So it's, it hangs right above my drawing table. So now you just need to get the new one to put underneath it. I wish they would. I wish they'd give you know all the people that had the plaque the new one. That would be a nice new version. Yeah, because you you have uh, you've been nominated for three other times if I remember. Well, I have been nominated quite a few times for um, for Eisner's and for Harvey Awards, and that to me, you know, I mean, it's a, you know, some people think it's a you know stereotypical thing to say, but I mean, I think those those nominations. I have the nomination plaques hanging on my walls too because I've been I was always so so jazzed that I was even in there. I think once I lost to Charles Burns, who's one of the greatest inkers artists ever in in independent comics, and I was like, I'm happy because yeah. the guy that won over me is way friggin' better than me. So <laughs> that that's a real that's real just justification there, you know. So, yeah. so I mean, yeah, those nominations are very cool too. But but I mean, I you know I sometimes like you know my I think one of me and Patrick's biggest accomplishments ever was issue 18 our silent issue we did after robin's death and we did a mm-hmm. we did a full issue of batman and robin if you guys haven't ever seen this oh, um, it's beautiful yeah so it. if, the, if the listeners never seen issue 18 of batman and robin and it's just bruce walking through his life at that moment after he's found out that his son is dead and it's silent and it's just it, there's no dialogue on the pages at all and when we were done with that i went this is it this has to be nominated at least. It should win an mm-hmm. award. Just I think it's the best thing we've ever done. And we didn't even get any any chops for that at all. We just dragged. Yeah, well, really, that's wrong. I mean, oh, that issue what really was outstanding. I mean, it, I'll tell you the truth. It just reminds me a lot of you know from the earlier and that was in the eighties. The GI Joe issue of twenty one, I think it is. Yeah, I think I've heard about that. Yeah, and it's like those silent issues. Yeah, so if you much. can get your, all you're trying to do, all Patrick was trying to do, and, and Pete too. If you, if you uh, look at the hardcover or, or the the compilation graphic novels of that issue, you can read the script of that in the back, and we they actually published it in black and white in the back of that too. And you see that it's just all we're trying to do is grab your emotion strings mm-hmm. and tug them and yeah. make you cry. And I don't know how many people Facebook messaged me saying, you're making me and my son read this book together, and we're, we're weeping together as we read this. And you just, you're just like, wow, 
we did it. You know, we yes. did what we had tried to accomplish here. And, man, you get those moments in 26 years of comic book making for me. But, I mean, that is just something special, you know. Well, I'm not going to hog up all of the time. Uh, I know Nova is itching to ask you a bunch of questions as well. No problem. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm a huge fan. I mean, I recently on our Facebook page did a review for uh, Robin, Son of Batman. Yeah. But um, before we get into the the DC stuff, which I'm really excited to talk about, I read Promethea recently, knowing we were going to talk to you, and I absolutely loved it. I mean, JH one of the third is just his art is spectacular. But what was it like to, I guess, be told, you know, you're going to be working with an Alan Moore script and Pencils by J.H. Williams. And I yeah, believe it was Ross who recommended you too. I mean, that's exactly. That's I was a just gonna, yeah, I just was going to say that that it starts with Alex Ross, you know, kind of helping put the teams together for the America's Best stuff, and he recommended us to do this, you know. And so I, I remember, uh, you know, one point being able to tell him, you know, thank you so much, you know, for thinking about us, you know, to be the ones for the book. But the weirdest thing about that, and everybody knows, you know, how eccentric Alan Moore is, but there's more to it than eccentric. I think he really is a little bit magic. I really do. Because I've seen panels. I've I've watched a panel of all the America's best guys sit up there on the stage and each one of them tell their story about how they got on the book and it was like Wait, we never ever told anybody, like let's say Kevin Nolan, we never told anybody that I was really jonesing to draw cows in the Midwest, and he, they they pegged at me to do this book that was going to have cows in the Midwest and this kind of thing for Jack B. Quick or whatever, you know. So it was each one of the artists had these stories, and with J.H., it was like, well, metaphysics is so interesting to me and in spirituality and this kind of movement and you know the Promethea being probably Alan Moore's favorite subject matter you know if you like Alan Moore and you look at Promethea and you go oh this is too heady for me I don't know if I want to read it I always tell Alan Moore fans buy this book right now put it away and maybe your head will be in the right place for it someday because it is an intense deep deep book but it's Alan's favorite subject matter so uh, you know I hate to say anything you know dissing any of the other America's best books but I think Promethea nailed you know really captured everything the essence of what Alan Moore is about you know and the neatest thing about Promethea was the magic again of the team Everybody that worked on it, Todd Klein lettering, you know, Scott Dornbeer editing it, J.H. penciling it, me inking it, and Jeremy Cox coloring it. It was such a collaborative perfection of the way we worked together. It was perfection as far as I'm concerned. There was, there, it just came together. Maybe we were a little late on schedules every once in a while because we were putting extra effort into it, but we had a, an editor in Scott Dunbeer that was willing to go, I see what's being produced here. We're going to give you it. We're going to give you the extra time that you need to do it. And that doesn't happen very much at all. Matter of fact, it never happens when you're working on a monthly book at DC mm -hmm. Comics. Um, if you're late on a book on DC Comics, they say, well, we're going to take these five pages away from you. Somebody else is going to ink them, you know. <sighs> so that happens regularly, you know. So on that book, it was magic. 
It was magic all the way around, and the story was magic. It was about magic. It was about metaphysics. It was about spirituality, and who who knows? I kind of think there'll never be another book like it, and it was definitely the most intense book I ever worked on. Just all the stuff that J.H. taught me. You know, he was, he's kind of a dictator to work for because um, he, he has an image and he has a idea in his head of what it's going to look like and he will not accept anything different, you know. So he would always tell me exactly what, if, if you ever get a chance to see any original uh, Promethea pages, look up on this, in the gutters and you'll see notes on almost every page that J.H. would write. And these notes, after working with somebody for eight years or however long I worked with them, I would go, uh, uh, Jim, I know what you need here. You've, I've been working with you for eight years. And the note would still be up at the top of the page, every page. He just had to reiterate it all the time. And I hold nothing against Mr. Williams because I learned so much from him. I learned so much from him. And now look at him now. Now he's doing he's doing some of the most amazing art in comic books. And I think he's one of the top, for sure, top five guys in the business. No, I, I want to circle back for just a second. Now you're talking about you know meeting deadlines and things like that. Oh, I want to know how do you prioritize? What gets top priority when you schedule your time? Well, it's hard when you're, you have a family and you have you know so a, a child that needs to get to places and you got to pick them up from school and you got broken pipes that need to be fixed. You got to deal with the plumber and you got to do this. And by the way, you got to finish ten pages in the next five weeks or five days, I should say, something like that. Last issue of uh, Robin, Son of Batman, I mean, it was probably one of my most insane deadlines. I think I did, I think I inked 10 pages in, in four days or something like that. And I was working around the clock till one, one night till five in the morning. And oh, wow. most of the time, I'm always working till three in the morning. That's pretty much my regular schedule. I just work any time and every time I can during the day. And then once after nine o'clock, when everybody's asleep or, or watching TV or whatever and I don't get any phone calls, then I can just work straight on through. To, I, I generally, you know, turn the lights off at 3 o'clock in the morning and say, hey, if I don't go to sleep now, tomorrow, the, the next day is going to be awful, you know. So, so I, that's my, that's my yeah. schedule. I just I work whenever I can. So do you think you, you get better work when you're under the pressure or when you're more organized? That's, it's a, that's a loaded question because because – I can say that some of our really great work that we've done on Batman and Robin has been mm -hmm. under the gun. Yeah. But I would love to get into the next issue and have the majority of it done in the first, say, two weeks of working on it and then be able to just, you know, finish, give the, give the rest of the book the labor of love that I'd love to give every page, you know? Mm -hmm. It's so hard, you know, comic books is about weighing, in one hand, commercial product, and in the other hand, creativity. So you take that, I want it, this page to look so awesome, it's going to make people drool, and then in the other hand, it's it's got to be done in the next you know, 12 hours because it has to be uploaded and sent to the office. So, you know, it's really tough to do that on a monthly schedule. And I've, I've been doing monthly books now for straight monthly books every month 
almost for the last six years. Wow. Uh, up until that time, there was, you know, we jumped around a lot. We did a lot of fill-ins. We did a lot of special projects that you, they give you more time on. The, the Joker graphic novel took two years to do. You know, we did that on the side. That's why it was such an amazing product. Prometheus, like I say, they'd stretch for us because we had a great editor and the willingness of the people above him to let him do that, you know. So... Once I got into that groove with Patrick that we were doing it every month, month in and month out, I mean, I was just talking to him on the phone today, and he is burnt, you know? (laughs) You get burnt, but I mean, at least we have, in this industry, you can be burnt and still get the inspiration, and you have the passion behind it to push you through, you know? And he's writing now, too. We were talking today on the phone about that adjustment. He has to rearrange his life to a new scheduling where he's writing, dealing with editors, dealing with changes, dealing with rewrites of a script, and at the same time feeding me pages. So it's, it's big. It's, it's a big deal for him, bigger deal for him than me. I try to lay off of him as much as possible. I, you know, of course, I've, there's stress every once in a while, and I've gotten, you know, stressed and angry with him because he wasn't getting me pages or anything. But at this point, I, I can't do that to him. I can't be there. I don't want to be that guy that does it. I want to be his partner. I want to be the guy that, okay, I'm ready for you. Whenever, you, whenever you're done with those pages, I'm ready for him, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's, yeah, it's, he has to be, he's getting there. He's getting into the groove. He, he, he feels it happening, but it's, you know, might take a couple more issues. He, he feels it moving forward, but it's, it's, a, it's a big readjustment to your life. After, I mean, you guys have been working together for four years now. Is how, how different is it from working with someone like J.H. Williams? It's not really that much different. I mean, Patrick is very, very passionate, and Patrick has visions. I think, I think these guys see in color as they're working, you know. Good guys can go, okay, this is what this is going to look like in final print. And he can go, and, and I'm happy that Patrick's the kind of penciler that get, sits down on the phone with John Calise, and they talks about his vision in color, because if... The colorist is just, I think a lot of comics are just colored by a colorist, whichever way they want to color it. And I think it's the pencilers, another job of the penciler, you know, this is the thing about being a penciler that I would never want to even do it because there's so much to it, you know. But he, he has a vision, so he has to sit down on the phone with him and go, okay, I want you to be creative, but this is the... This is the scene. This is where this, this is the time of day that this is taking place. This is the color scheme that I want to shoot for through this book, or this certain part of the book is going to be this color scheme. And so that we can see and define the change of the scene, we're going to change the color scheme. So these kind of things, the colorist can't read his mind. He has to know these in advance, and that's nice. Uh, JH worked that way. Like I say, it was the perfect team working, you know, with him as the director, kind of. Alan was, a, you know, a, the kind of writer that wrote massive amounts. He'd write a telephone book for, for uh, an issue of Promethea and then go, here, this is yours now. Do with it what you want to do. It's yours now. You just take what you want out of it and let it inspire you to do what you want. He would never, I don't think there was much where he'd come back at J.H. and go, no, that's wrong, you're going to change that that would you know some writers are very very finicky about how they write but i think alan's the kind of guy once he writes it it's not his anymore 
it's yours to, to pencil. It's yours to. It, it's used as interpretation and inspiration uh, on your part to use. With Patrick now, he's a well real director because he's writing it himself and illustrating it. So it's all in his hands. Big big responsibility, you know. Now I was just gonna ask you. Okay, so person in the comic industry, I'm assuming you collect comics. But I, want, I yeah, what a little do bit. you collect? What is your prize comic other than your own work? Jeez. Uh, I stopped really buying comics when I started working on them because I didn't have much time to buy them anymore. (laughs) I didn't have much time to read them. You know, I used to, before I worked in comics, I used to have a $30 a week uh, comic fix and I'd go down to the store and I'd be subscribed in the store for certain Mm -hmm. comics and stuff. But, you know, I have a... I have a a nice long run of a good chunk of the early Justice League stuff, and uh, I love that. What do I have? It, that's a good question. What is my prized possession in comics? In comic art, I could tell you much easier. I'm staring at it right now. I have a Jack Kirby penciled, Wallywood inked strip from the book Sky Masters hanging over uh, my closet in my workroom here. And that's Very my, nice. That's probably my prized possession of all artwork comic related. And then I also have a Kirby pencil character study from four characters called We Incredible Three that never went anywhere. He just kind of did this character study of this superhero group and probably going to be used for an animated show or something and it never mm-hmm. was used or anything. So I love those two pieces. A lot. <laughs> Somehow I figured you were going to say Jack Kirby. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I own, you know, I own some very cool Jack Kirby books. You know, I love, he's one of my real heroes, you know, because I got to meet him a couple times and work with him a little bit. That that was, you know, one of the biggest things in my life ever, you know. Just for, I guess, the, the big DC fans that are listening, uh, after doing, you know, Dark Batman and Robin, you know, and in Gotham City for all that time. What's it like now with Robin? Because the first issue, it's it's got a little fantasy in it. Yeah, well, you know, I think the company is leaning more toward grabbing a younger audience because they're getting they're a little late to the game you might say over the last i i would imagine if they were really on it maybe 20 years ago they should have started honing their younger audience cuz what happens when us 50 60 year old comic fans die they're not going to have an audience anymore <laughs> cuz in the last 20 years they lost young kids you know to video yeah. games and stuff so they're finally going i think this is a, a real you know, intentional thing to go, let's write and make comics for everybody again, as opposed to just trying to hit up the adult audience. Let's write comics for young people and old people are going to enjoy just as much. It's a little bit more of a challenge, I would imagine, to write across the board. But, hey, comics were done like that for a ton of years prior Mm -hmm. to the adult thing in the 80s. So I think... That's one of the reasons why Robin, Son of Batman was uh, presented to us and and pushed for us to go that direction. You might, I mean, I remember Patrick saying when I asked him, what's this book going to be? And he said, well, kind of, let's say, just if you want it in a very short sentence, Adventure Time meets Johnny Quest, you know? And when I look at it now, I go, 
I think you nailed that, you know? I think it's great, you know? It's just perfect, you know? It's got some of this stuff that's much more, you know, like you say, fantasy, and, and it's going to, we're going to be in various locations around the world, and it's going to be very kind of, you know, adventure-oriented, but we also are bringing with us the emotion and passion from what we had in Batman and Robin, you know? Um, I think that's what Batman and Robin were all about, was about that emotion and passion about a father who doesn't know how to be a father and a son that doesn't know how to be a son, you know, or a kid. Let that let it be that, too. And so it's a great character, Damien. You know, there's a lot of growth and development we can do with him. And he's he's interesting, exciting. And, uh, you know, you got to you got to uh, uh, give Peter Tomasi a lot of credit for taking him from the Grant Morrison fans saying, I hate this kid so much. What do we even have him here as Robin to? <laughs> We love him. He's so he's a little brat, but we love him. You know, we took that. That was yeah. Peter Tomasi that did that, and Patrick Gleason took him from being hated to loved, and now we have a character that uh, he's still the, just as much of a brat as he ever was. But you know, he's he's more lovable now, more interesting. He's more complicated. You know, from the way I understand it, you know, the way Grant Morrison planned to kill him off from the very beginning, so he wasn't thinking, yeah. why make people love him. When I'm going to kill him off, I'll just keep him as this irritating character. And then when I kill him off, it won't be that big, you know, it won't be that people won't care as much. But then, you know, he had no choice about them giving us Batman and Robin and doing with what we did with it. But, it, you know, it was it was a hard crossover from, you know, God, this guy is taking him somewhere and, and we want to take him somewhere else. We want this book to continue, you know, so it was that was tough. You were anti-collaborating with Grant Morrison. Then. It was, you know, they didn't. <laughs> we did not collaborate. It was anti-collaboration. You're right, and I don't know. I, you know, I, I didn't know. It being, out well. being an anchor, it worked out well. But being an anchor, I didn't know anything about that they were going to kill him off. <laughs> Nobody told me that. When that happened, it just happened in a script. I get in an email that, it, oh, by the way, this happened in Grant's book. You guys are dealing with this now. And so, like I say, going back to what I first said about issue 18, I think we handled it as good as you could possibly handle it. And then the issues that came after that of all of the searching for, you know, the body and trying to find out, you know, what happened, they were interesting. They were interesting the way it was all dealt with. I think we got a run of 40 issues that – that has some legs on it. I think it'll last. I think people will continue to pick it up and uh, and get enjoyment out of the way that run reads. It was sure an honor to work on. I tell you. I mean, I was I was totally inspired and in awe of how those guys put it together. Would you ever want to move away from the, the Bat family? Um, if I have a choice, no. I would never. I want to be in that. I want to be in these books for the rest of my career if I can. I just love. I've been a Batman fan since I was 10 years old. I do not want to leave it. I love it. I'm uh, I'm sad that Bruce Wayne and Batman don't really have a, a part in Robinson of Batman. You know, I'm I'm missing him already. Um I know he's he's missing right now, so maybe down the line things will connect back in. Who knows? I would love it, you know, if if something happened, you know. At least we have flashbacks and stuff. I'm sure at some point after, you know, 5 6 issues in on this book, I would hope, I haven't talked to Patrick about it, but I mean, I would hope that there was some flashback to what happened between 
the last issue of Batman and Robin and him going out, you know, and, and leaving on his own, you know? Yeah. I, I got to ask you, man, who is your favorite Batman character? Hero, villain, who, who is your favorite? Oh, well, it's just Batman. I mean, I, don't, Batman. I really don't care about anybody else other than Robin. I mean, I love the, you know, the whole rogues gallery. I mean, they're, they're amazing. I mean, all the, all the Batman villains are fantastic. And, you know, we're, you know, our addition of nobody is very interesting in his own right, you know? And yeah, but it's just the, the mythology. You know, this is American mythology of Batman. That's what really sucks me in, you know, this character that has been around since 1938 or whatever. And we're keeping that going. And that's probably the most interesting, exciting thing that I could ever possibly think about doing. I, I, Superman's cool, but I've never, been, I've never been crazy about, you know, working on a Superman book. I mean, I've, I have. Me and JH did Son of Superman, which was a very cool one shot with Howard Shaken wrote it, and that was a lot of fun. But uh, this, this stuff, the darkness, the way you can get really dark in Batman if you want to, you can't really get dark in Superman. You know, there is opportunities once in a while, but in general, it's pretty the opposite of dark. <laughs> <laughs> now, how do you feel about the amount of all the different Batman titles that are available right now? Well, I mean, there's, you know, the company saturates the market. That's what, that's what the company does. You know, I mean, that's, there's no way around it. When you see something that people love, you give them more of it. And maybe sometimes you might give too much and, and then that affects everybody's sales. So there's, there's a marketing strategies that I can't even begin to say, why and how it happens. I always say I would love to be a fly on the wall in editorial meetings, but I would never want to actually physically be there. Um, it sounds like a scary job and any, and marketing is the same way. I mean, how do you make these decisions? How did you make the decision to cancel an important title like Batman and Robin? I can't, I can't begin. Nobody has ever told me why. Yeah, I mean, I know that, you know, the uh, Bruce being missing right now, I yeah. guess we couldn't have done Batman and Robin, I guess they think we couldn't have done Batman and Robin without him. We did Batman and Robin for 10 issues without Robin, so why couldn't we have done Batman and Robin for 10 issues without Batman? Even even Damien working with the new one, that could have been... Exactly. So we pleaded. I mean, I will tell you right up front, we all pleaded to keep that book running. We would do that book till the end of our lives. And they just said, well, this is the direction we want to go. And when you work with a company that you love, that you want to continue to work with, you just, you go, okay. Oh, yes. Do, yeah, we'll do it. We'll do whatever, we'll do what you want to do. And it's good. I like it. I think it's going to be a great book. But like I say, you know, it was, I don't really understand the marketing. That's not my job to understand the marketing. My job is to, uh, to do as good a quality on what they give me as possible so I can continue doing it for as long as possible. I'm 56 years old. I worry about what about all those young Brazilian cool cat inkers that they can bring in here for probably less than I make, and they do a great job. And so why, why do they want to keep this 55-year-old man, you know, 
So, you know, every day I go, God, I am blessed. They still want me around and they still treat me nice and they, they want me and they appreciate me. You know, I was getting editorial calls last week and they were all so appreciative of how late I had to work to finish issue two. And so I, you know, that's so nice to be wanted at a company that's this big and that's been around this long. And I, you know, I totally appreciate them. They're going to ask you, life of a comic book artist, pros and cons. The pros are chills down your spine every day because <laughs> you're working on just such fun things and the going to San Diego con and having a Japanese or a French fan walk up to you and babble in another language and the only thing you hear is oh god what do you got about Batman Robin and, and, and you go ah thank you so much you don't know what they said but you just say thank you that is just the most smile and shake thing. their hands yeah and that's another pro and then you know there's a lot of pros you know and you know you can you're doing what you love you know and then cons are you know those deadlines those deadlines are just sheer hell and you're swearing and you're going i don't want to do this and it gets tough you know when you got to worry when when there's other things that have to be done in life and and then you but you still got to get these deadlines done I, that's i think really the only con is just the 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 stresses of getting monthly books done. If I could do comics and not have uh, monthly schedules, I always dream that in my old age I'll be working on specialty projects like the Joker graphic novel, and it'll just be an open, unsolicited schedule. You know, my books are scheduled before we start them. So when you see Diamond and you see the cover of Batman number three or whatever, you know, when that first comes out, we haven't even started on the book. You know, oh, so absolutely. these books are scheduled and sold before we've started them. All they have is a, is a cover art and a synopsis of what the story is. So I want to work on books in the ideal situation are when there's no schedule, they don't solicit it. When you're done with it, We'll solicit it. The European style of making comics, you know, hardcover, high quality, and done as labor of love, you know. Are you actually San Diego Comic Con? Uh, you're gonna be gone, flying out this uh, week if I'm. Oh, we we take a road trip. I have a buddy of mine that every year we have our our eight hour road trip down from San Jose to San San Diego, and we leave tomorrow at seven a.m. Oh wow! And we'll be down there by around four, something like that, and. Uh, get ready for free preview or the preview night as Wednesday night. So they have a few hours where they open it up to certain people on that night. So you're going to be on some panels. I'm not on any panels. Yeah. Uh, probably won't be signing in the DC booth or anything like that, but I'll be at my artist alley table. FFO three all weekend long. I do not get up. I'm kind of scared of the floor in San Diego. I don't want to walk around there. It's frightening. <laughs> um, I've been trampled a couple times and I don't want that to happen anymore. So I sit there behind my table. I talk to people. My voice eventually just goes. I'm like, when I get home from San Diego, I'm kind of like this. <laughs> and I just have a gas. I have a little uh, promotional print that I'm giving out to the first 100 people that come by my table this year for Robin. And I have lots of original artwork that I'll be showing off. And uh, I, it's like I say, it's just so fun to talk to people. At that convention so different than other conventions because it's people from around the world, you know. And it's just, it's kind of a gas.
It's kind of a gas to go to. I've, like I say, this is my 25th year of going to San Diego, and it's. It, I, sometimes I think I don't want to do it anymore. I'd rather maybe I'll, you know, try a different convention next year. But then I always end up. Well, I'm kind of grandfathered into San Diego <laughs> onto the Artist Alley. They always offer it to me, and. Mm-hmm. Just can't pass it up. It's hard because it's become a tradition, you know, even though it's so big and so out of control. You can always get in contact with me. I I love Facebook. I'm always on Facebook. Just look for my little Albie Mouse face. If you're looking for Mick Gray, don't get it confused by other people because my uh, Mick Gray account has a little uh, icon of my character, Albie Mouse, who is Mm -hmm. um, also available in my own children's book. Albie Mouse's Abecedarian, which is an ABC book, and it's available digital through my website, www.mickgrade.net, and you can always get in touch with me. Artwork's available from most all the books we've worked on, and uh, like I say, even if you just want to ask a question, I'm always around near my computer. Well, we appreciate that. Thank you very much, Mick. I uh, really appreciate your time today. Yeah, Heck thank yeah. You very much for taking thank time. you for having me, man. Oh, yeah, it's been a pleasure. Uh, hopefully we can get you back on the show uh, a little bit down the line. You can talk about your work, uh, your new projects that you're working on. Heck, yeah. I'll be back anytime. Oh, we appreciate that. So I won't Looking take up much more of your time. I'm sure you've got a deadline to work on. Yeah, I got. I think i got uh, three pages sitting here in front of me for issue three. And then that leaves about 17, 18 pages left of issue three to do, and I'm going to be gone for a week. So, yeah, this is potentially <laughs> one of those weeks where I might have pages taken away from me. I don't know, Uh-oh. just because I don't have any choice. You know, if if I get back and they say, you know, you don't have time to finish it, we'll see. What can I say? That's what, you know, working on a monthly book is you got to be ready for that, and you, and, you know, sometimes there's no way to get around it. But we'll see. All right. Uh, Noah, did you have anything else you wanted to throw out? Uh, I just wanted to say thanks again. I look forward to reading whatever issues you work on. Thanks, I'll man. I'll be through. here for hopefully the run of it, and uh, me and Patrick are pretty tight, so um, whatever happens, I think we're going to be together for a while. Seems like it. We better give Patrick a holler and have him come on our show. Definitely. He'll do it. <laughs> that would be fantastic. Okay, man. All right. Well, thanks again, and you have a wonderful day. Hey, thanks, man. You guys, too. Great talking to you. Hey, thank you. Too. Have a good week. Right. See ya. Well, that wraps up our interview with Mick Gray. We'd like to thank everybody who tuned in. Please be sure to follow our issue uh, next week. We'll be bringing you a very warm and heart-touched story about a man and his bat named Lucille. But until then, please check out our Facebook page and give us a like. Don't forget to check our Twitter feed and uh, follow us with our daily factoids. Until then. Excelsior.